0: Good evening. hope everyone's having a good day and a happy October. I don't know about you, but I am ready for the fall and the cooler weather and, and get, the rest of the year, uh, get the rest of the year going. Let's dive into God's Word together. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. This morning, Nate had a great lesson, and uh, we had a class on Exodus 11 through 12. And in that class, we tapped into a few of the previous chapters, but we didn't really dive in depth into those chapters. And so as we go through class this quarter, Nate and I had a great idea to start a new sermon series, which is what we do. And we're going to start a sermon series, a mini-sermon series. You don't have to worry, it's not going to be every Sunday. But once or twice a month where we have a sermon that follows a class and fills in on some of the information and, and gaps that we couldn't cover in in this uh, in class. And so as we go in, we're going to start in Exodus 3 through 11 for today, looking at who God is and, and how that impacts us, how that changes our life. And you may be wondering, well, yeah, I, I know who God is. I was baptized. I don't need to be reminded of who God is. But the thing is, we should always be reminded of who God is. When we're baptized, we're just getting started and understanding and knowing In God and in who he is, because getting to know God is a journey. For example, if you look in Exodus chapter three, God introduces himself to Moses. And Moses in Exodus three is completely different than Moses in Deuteronomy thirty four at the end of his life. He's changed. He's more faithful throughout the years. By the end of his life, he is experienced in trusting in who God is, and he's gaining wisdom in that process. And the same goes for those that were faithful before him and after him. Abraham, Joseph, Peter, Mary, Thomas, Paul, all of them. But The thing is, too often we view our baptism as an end, or a means to an end. It's just making sure we cover our bases, or we're all good, we're going to check this box off the list. And when we do that, when we view baptism in that way, and it's just in a traditional sense, it's no different than the sinner's prayer. It's no different. And so what should make our baptism meaningful isn't that it's the end, but it's the beginning of our journey. Baptism is not some excuse to become lazy in our our faith. It's not an excuse to become lazy in our faith, or to maybe attach ourselves to a political idea. Ide- uh, oh, excuse me, a political ideology. There we go, or a group of people, or maybe another person, or some selfish benefit. It doesn't help us at all. Our faith is is really not about who we are. Our faith is about getting to know who God is through the good times and the bad times and the challenges, and it often comes out when we pray. When we pray, we try to envision who God is. And what happens is we, we think more about the, the form of God than we do the character of God. We pray and we think of Jesus, who TV and movies portray this long-haired guy sitting next to us in the car. And we're praying to God, and it's this old bearded guy in the sky. Or we're praying to this orb of light in a, in a golden throne room. And we just get wrapped up in these silly ideas of what God is, and we miss the point. We missed the point that it wasn't the form of God that saved us. It was the character of God that saved us and the perfection that we find in his son Jesus. And so God introduces himself to us in many different ways and to many different people. And it starts in Exodus 3 where he introduces himself to Moses. Let's look at that. Exodus 3, verses 2 through 3. This is the burning bush. And God intrigues Moses with his power and his gentleness and his holiness here because that's who God is. And it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why this bush is not burned. I love how Moses is intrigued here by God and his power. And that's how we should be. We should be interested in God, peeling back the layers, getting to know who he is. And he continues there in Exodus 3, verse 6. Here, God reminds Moses of his heritage and where he comes from. Read that with me as he introduces himself. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. We've heard that statement before. God uses that repeatedly when introducing himself. And we read that statement often and we kind of just glance over it and don't think much about it. We think, yeah, I know those people and I've read those stories. But if we stop for a moment and think about what God is saying here when he says that statement. When he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. He's saying something very profound that we need to think about. In that statement, God is saying, hey... I am the God of your family. I am the God of relationships. I am the God who cares about people. If you look at the lives of those before you, I am the God of of all grace and the God of all love. I am the God that takes ordinary men and women and makes them great. And he says, I am your God. It's so comforting to understand that's the type of God that we serve. And that's the type of God that is on our side, that is is with us. And so if we put put ourselves in Moses' shoes here, he's 80 years old at this time. You can say he's a little late to the party, a little late to the game. And yet what we're going to find is as Moses grows, he's going to grow more in faith in this next 40 years of his life than he does in the last 80 years, the first 80 years of his life. And that's an amazing thing. He's going to get to know God more in his later years than in his younger years. God is introducing himself for the first time, if you will, and notice that he's too afraid to look at God. That's not the Moses we read later in his life when it says in Exodus 33, verse 11, that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face the way a person speaks to a friend. So at first he's afraid to look at God, and then he's speaking later to God as a friend. That's what we call transformation, and that doesn't happen overnight. And that is what a journey, what a relationship with God will do. If we are faithful, it will completely change us. If we're willing to face our fears and walk with God, walk toward those fears and and depend on the power of God, it will completely transform us. And so later in the Exodus journey, we also see this character trait from Moses. In Numbers 12, verse 3, it says now th- this about Moses. Listen to this. Now the man, now the man, Moses, was very meek. Your version might say humble more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Could you imagine that statement being said about, about you? That's, that's a crazy statement. But a lot of people like to take that statement and kind of blanket it over his entire life. And what we're not realizing is that's not really giving that text A a true meaning there. Moses is not the most meekest, most humble man on the earth in Exodus 3. He is in Numbers 12, but he's not in Exodus 3. What we're supposed to be seeing is this transformation, is his growth in faith here. In fact, what we see in Exodus 3 from Moses isn't really humility. Now, granted, he may be humble. Any person that goes from prince to shepherd is going to be humble to some degree, but he actually shows a lot of selfishness in Exodus 3. Continue with me in Exodus 4. The dialogue continues there. God's talking with him. I want to know, know, are we seeing a person who is humble, or are we seeing an infant in faith here? And God has asked him, hey, I want you to leave the wilderness, go to Egypt, and deliver my people from, from slavery. Read with me Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then when the Lord, said, then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh Lord, please send someone else. Is that humility? Is that humility? What we're actually reading is actually self-loathing. Humility isn't thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Humility is taking the needs of others and putting it above your own needs. We read that in Philippians 2, 3-4. Moses isn't thinking about what God wants, what God's will is. He isn't thinking about God's people and the affliction that they're in. And he knows very well the suffering that they're going through. Moses is thinking about himself. He's thinking about his own comfort. And yet at the same time, the amazing thing is, God knows our needs. He knows what we can handle. God knows our potential. God knew Moses would be, would become the meekest, become the most humble man on earth. God also knew that it would take a lot of grace for that to be unleashed, for that potential to be unleashed. And so you think of Jesus for a second. Because we always have to think of Jesus and how humble he was. And in his ministry, he was humble and he would put the needs of others first. But at the same time, he would always be following God's will and he wouldn't back down. He would stand firm on the truth. He was humble and confident at the same time. He had that humble confidence we should be striving for. And yet Moses here, he is prideful in that moment. And in that next verse, you see God becomes very angry with him. And they send his brother Aaron to be his mouthpiece. Moses lacks the humility. He lacks the confidence that God requires of him. And yet God still shows grace to him and they come with a solution. And Aaron, his brother, comes and helps him and and speaks for him. And we can resonate with Moses so much here. Because it's so easy to take our faith and to sit on our hands and do absolutely nothing. And yet what we realize is the more we get to know who God is, the more we have to accept more responsibility. And so as we keep reading, what we're going to see and what I want you to pay attention to is the growth that we see from Moses. Moses' progress and his development. Let's go into the ten plagues here. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. Now I'm thinking about spending about 10 minutes on each plague, so make yourselves real comfortable. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you guys. All right, these plagues, God is introducing himself. He's introducing himself, yes, to his people, but you have to also realize he's introducing himself to the Egyptians. He's letting them know, hey, I am the God that is all-powerful, and I want you to know, who are you going to be committed to? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Pharaoh or are you going to serve me? And look at Exodus 6, verse 7. God makes his commitment to his people very clear. He says, I will take you to be my people He says, and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That is our God who is with us. And Nate talked about that this morning. Look over at the next chapter, Exodus 7, verses 4 through 5, and notice he says something very similar about the Egyptians, but the tone is different. He says, I will lay my hand, verse 4, on Egypt, And bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. He's establishing, reestablishing his relationship with his people. You think about any relationship and it's going to take work. You think about any successful marriage and it's going to, you're going to have to serve one another for it to be successful yes you serve god first and foremost but husbands serve their wives and wives serve their husbands they serve each other they love each other god serves us because not because he needs us absolutely not but because he loves us and we should serve him in return we should follow his commands because we love him A good and healthy relationship, you see, realizes the needs and the desires of one another. And God may not need us, but he desires a certain type of heart from us. He desires a pure heart, a heart that's willing to follow him. And as we read through Exodus 7 and 11 through 11 and look at these plagues, what we'll see is our needs and our service to God really brought out in the text. Exodus 7 verse 19, this is the first plague. Moses earlier approached Pharaoh, he says, let my people go, he approaches with Aaron, and Pharaoh says, no way, because his heart is hardened. And this is what we read in verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over the canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and they shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and vessels in stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. So now it takes out their main water source, travel source, and fish. I mean, this is Pharaoh we're talking about, and this is affecting his people the people look to Pharaoh as a god and as a leader? And as Pharaoh, does he care about his people? Obviously not. Pharaoh is not committed to caring for his people. In fact, in verse 23, it says Pharaoh didn't take any of this to heart. He did not care at all. Pharaoh didn't care about his people, and he only had room, not for God, not for God's will, not for God's people. He only had room in his heart for himself. How much room do we have in our hearts for God and for God's people? And it's in these moments where we have to remember that we serve a committed God who takes care of us. He loves us. A God who has made room in his hearts for us and his people. And so we move on to the second plague there in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. And notice Moses and Aaron, what they say to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go so that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Why is Moses and Aaron pleading for their people to be let go? Is it so that they can gain wealth and power and overtake Egypt? Verse verse 1, no. So they can serve God. Almost every time Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh with the idea of freedom, it comes with this aspect of serving God. God is introducing himself to Pharaoh and demanding that the Israelites not serve him, but serve God. He is declaring his ownership for his people. And he's done the same for us. Move on to the third plague in Exodus 8, verse 16. Exodus 8, verse 16. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And and gnats in Hebrew are many different types of insects. It could be lice, gnats, ticks, flies, fleas, mosquitoes. It's a biting type of insect. And it was probably a mixture of all the above. But you see, God is no longer allowing them to be comfortable at all. I mean, how comfortable can we be when insects are flying all over us? But that doesn't stop there. You think it would get worse, sorry, worse, and it gets worse in Exodus 8, verse 24. Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh again after every plague, and still he refuses to let his people, God's people, go. And God, notice, doesn't command Moses and Aaron to do anything here in Exodus eight twenty-four. It says, there came a great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servant's house, and therefore all the land of Egypt had in that land had was ruined by the swarms of flies. Now it's beyond convenience. It's beyond comfortability. Now it's probably affecting their health. You think about mosquitoes and ticks and lice and, and flies. These things spread diseases. And they're ruining the land there as we keep seeing. Notice every time it has been Aaron initiating God's commands. And now God takes over. He takes the reins. And we keep seeing this in Exodus 9 verse 6, with the fifth plague. In Exodus 9, verse 6, it gets even more and worse, and the livestock die here. And it says, the next day, this is what the Lord did. He did this thing, and all the livestock, verse 6, of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. So now much of their daily life that contributes to their happiness is gone. It's more than just food. It's, you know, the crops, their fish, their livestock, the things that make them money. So they have no commerce, no income, no wealth at this point. And it gets even worse again. And notice in Exodus 9 verse 8, this is the important part. Who directs this command? How does he direct this command? Exodus 9 verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take a handful of soot from the kiln, And let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh. And then they break out in boils all over their bodies. Their health is affected. Their connection with each other is affected. And God's saying, look, I have power even over your physical bodies. But it's important to note that it's not God telling Aaron to stretch out your hand, or stretch out your staff, or say this, or Moses to tell Aaron to say this. It's let Moses take this one. God is cultivating Moses to be the humble, the confident leader he needs him to be. Remember what God told Moses back in Exodus 4 verse 12? He said, I will teach you what to say. And what does a teacher do? A teacher, like Aaron and God, are examples. And that's what Aaron and God have been. They've been examples to Moses so that he could grow, so that he can now take the reins. God does the same thing for us today. He will use family and brothers and sisters in Christ as an example for us. Those are weaker in faith to grow in our faith, to trust God more. We are together, we are unified, and he's going to help cultivate that potential that he sees in our life. And then in the seventh plague in Exodus 9, verse 23, with the loss of their connection with one another and their, their health, they lose their security. And notice it says, in Exodus 9 verse 23, "Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the land sent thunder, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth, And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. God wants Pharaoh to know that he's not powerful. Everything that he relied on, everything that the Egyptians took pride in, is absolutely gone. And that comes to a point in our life where we realize the same thing, where we realize no matter who we're talking about, whether that be you, or that be me, or that be the late queen of England or the king of England now, when you strip it all down, we are just flesh. We are dust. We are pots of, of clay. As Nate talked about this morning, we are humans, lost and helpless. And God wants people to know that more than anything, more than anything, we need him. It doesn't matter how safe we think we are. It could all go away. Are we going to serve our creator or are we going to serve ourselves and this evil world? We are only eternally safe with God. And that's that beautiful hope that we have. And Moses is serving God. He's understanding who God is. We see Moses grow in humility and his confidence and his faithfulness. And meanwhile, what is Pharaoh doing? He's rebelling. He's ignoring who God is. Do you see how their view of God played out in their character and what they did? And the Egyptians here, they're done. In Exodus 10, verse 7, Egypt is ruined, it says. Since Pharaoh is not humble, he's only thinking about himself. The people thought that you know they were committed to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was not committed to them at all. He didn't care about them. And what we see is the tenth, or excuse me, the eighth plague in Exodus ten, verse thirteen. And it says, so Moses, there he is again, taking the initiative and the leadership, stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. So locusts destroyed the vegetation, the greenery, the beauty that is in the land of Egypt, probably looks like West Texas, really brown and ugly. Um, but that's the way it is. If you think about that and you apply it to our life, though, that we need color... We need to see beauty. We get depressed. And now there's nothing to admire about Egypt. And it goes even further because Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. Exodus 10 verse 21. And Pharaoh will no longer be able to see this, this kingdom that he ruined. And so Moses, again, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. And there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Pharaoh has basically denied seeing God. And now Pharaoh can't even see his kingdom. It's completely in ruins. And the only place that is not dark is where the Israelites are at. Where God's people are at. That is where the light is. Where God's people can be the light and be the reflections of who God is. That is where the light is at. And in Exodus 10, 28-29, you notice now Moses is taking the reins. He's not taking the back seat anymore. He is going to be the leader now from now on. He is stood up, and he's who he needs to be for God, and he has a conversation with Pharaoh face to face, but still, it does no good. And the 10th plague comes, comes and hits the home a little harder. We talked about this this morning, so I'm not going to dive too deep in the 10th plague, but I will say, if there's ever that last straw on the camel's back that brings the most prideful of us to our knees, it's most likely going to be the loss of a child, loss of a loved one here, and that's what happens in Exodus 11, verse 4. And now notice Moses is speaking here. And it says, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. On a purely human note, if we don't believe in God, our children are our only hope for the future. And that's what the Egyptians thought of. And yet, our hope goes much deeper than that. It is eternal. However, we have to remember Pharaoh, most likely the previous Pharaoh, had a lot of the Israelite kids and babies murdered. And God is bringing justice. And you see, without God, we live a life in complete injustice, where, where there is no peace. Without God, we will never find peace, and injustice hurts. And Pharaoh and his people and the Egyptian people have to come to terms. They've been humbled, they've been stripped, and they have to make a choice. Do they choose to recognize that God is powerful, or do they choose to follow themselves still? And so you might be wondering, well, where are we going? What's, what's the point? Where's the application? And there's several different ways that we can look at these plagues. But if you notice, they have affected several aspects of life. And I broke them down for you here. Notice if we break them down, it's the Nile that turns into blood, affects their their travel, but also their food and their provisions. The frogs affect their routines, their daily life. It's everywhere in their houses and everywhere they go. The gnats affect their convenience. The flies affected their health. The death of the livestock ruined their economy and their wealth. The boils affected their connection with each other and their health. The hail took away their safety, the locusts destroyed their beauty, the darkness took away their vision, and the death of the firstborn affected their family. The question that we have to ask after that is, where do we find our happiness? Where do we find our confidence? Is it in those things? Is it in our provisions, in our our safety and the beauty and our in our family, or is it in God? The world will look at that and say, yes, I need that in order to have meaning and to have purpose, and I will look at science in order to fulfill those things, and what I'll realize is when one of those fall, I will need God. Or maybe I'll have all those things and realize that none of those things are giving me purpose and meaning, and I actually still need God. We are fickle humans with a lot of needs, and the Egyptians had those fulfilled, and yet they still realize God made it very evident that you still need me. That I am still powerful. You cannot rely on yourselves. You cannot rely on my people's slave labor. And then you apply that to us in the 21st century where our needs are almost completely met. We're going to the store and getting whatever we want. We're not out hunting and, and surviving and trying to get food to survive the next day. Our needs, for the most part, are met. And yet we still realize we need God. What this is telling us that the more we get to know God, The more we grow, the more we grow in humility, the more we grow in confidence, and it goes beyond ourselves. What this tells us is that we need God more than anything in this life. We have to rely on him first because it could all just go away. We cannot rely on it. And so we have to ask, is our identity, is our happiness rooted in our lifestyle, in our desires, our possessions, or is our identity and our happiness and our confidence embedded in who God is? Understanding who God is will determine our character. And we saw that play out in Moses. He wasn't willing to do what God wanted him to do because he didn't know who God was. And when he started following God, Moses became a humble and confident leader. Why? Because his confidence was in the power of the Lord. So even though they were slaves and they had none of those things and they were, you know, they were afflicted and suffering, they realized they still needed God. And so, get to know God more, and you'll find yourself growing in humility. Trust in Him through the challenges, and you'll find yourself growing in confidence. Because all we need, when it comes down to it, is God. Moses writes, as we finish in Psalm 90, verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as for as many years as we have seen evil. In verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We find that same thing in Jesus. When we realize that we may not have all those those ten things, those ten aspects of life. We may not have meaning and purpose in our life, and what we realize is Jesus is our source of salvation. We find humility and joy and confidence, and we find family in Jesus. Because when it all boils down, we as humans need a Savior, and we need that Savior to be our creator. And maybe you realize that in your own life. You realize you cannot rely on yourself. And eternity with Jesus is realizing, I can't rely on myself, I have to rely on God's strength. It's getting to know who God is. And so if you want to be saved this evening, and humble yourself, be baptized for forgiveness of your sins, start that journey. Come forward now, and we stand and we sing.